Good afternoon. I hope you guys are having a wonderful Sunday day. And I gotta say, in Panama City, it is very, very cold, about 57 degrees, and it's sunny, so it's actually pretty good for someone who was born in the Northeast. Not so much for anyone who was born in Florida. Anyway, today's episode is gonna be pretty cool. We're gonna go ahead and get started with comics. Today, we're going to be talking about AXE Judgment Day, Omega Issue 1. So this is supposed to be the last issue, or last one-shot, in the whole Judgment series. And it's been an okay series. I mean, it hasn't been like, oh my god, but it hasn't been too terrible either. So basically, the issue is an Eternals issue. And it's going, uh, basically showing the Eternals visiting family members, and basically apologizing to those whose family members were stolen for their resurrection. Now, some are extremely angry. Uh, Who was the... uh, Eros visited a family member and basically got hot water poured on him, but because he's an eternal, stuff like this doesn't really affect him. He apologizes, and basically the others do the same. Uranus has been given some freedom by the Martian mutants and was basically said... Whatever they need, you're going to do it, no matter what. He likes the idea of being let out in any type of capacity, even if it's those he's hated by. Druig is still being kept alive, barely, as Uranus' plaything, and it basically gets beaten on a daily basis, or whatever torture method Uranus wants to throw out there. Now, the biggest thing is uh, Earth is is not done protesting the Eternals. Ajax is still a celestial and is attempting to do the uh, right the wrongs of the past celestials and strives to do better. Phantasmos goes to Kroka and gives them a seed to help the island grow. And basically the comic ends with uh, a being which seems to be the celestial now in human form looking down on the planet and talking about judgment. Now, the biggest thing about, or the biggest takeaway about this comic is basically that the systems have changed between the mutants and the Eternals. Now, it seems like the Eternals is hated, which is basically understandable, especially after what we've learned. So, it's going to be interesting to see how the aftermath really affects Marvel in the long run. I really doubt with how they ended it, it's going to affect too much, especially since we're already getting other events getting started. Now, I'm curious to see how a Celestial Ajax and other Eternals react when the Symbiote event happens. For the sixth time, how many symbiote events is Marvel going to do? I mean, at this point, it's like, really? I I mean, I, I, I don't get it. Honestly, it's like, oh, we're doing another symbiote event. Next, in the next two years, we're going to do another symbiote event. I mean, the last few times it was okay, but at this point, it's just getting annoying. Anyway, uh, that's it for Judgment Omega issue one. We're going to go straight into Spider-Man issue number 11. Now, the issue itself for Spider-Man, and to my surprise, was actually pretty decent. Now, Spider-Man is still working for Oscorp, well, more Peter Parker is, and they're working on a rocket. Norman is getting mad because apparently this rocket should have been done, and Peter and his assistant both are trying to take the blame when they notice something is wrong with Norman. He seems a little more agitated than normal. Uh, when Peter is walking home, he learns from Zed Niels, a former Hobgoblin, that Norman is meeting with a man named Kingsley, who actually brainwashed Niels to be the Hobgoblin before the other Hobgoblin was even a thing. 
When confronted with this fact, Norman is meeting with Kingsley. Uh, he basically, Norman basically says, yes, I am meeting with him. But he's saying that he's trying to return the criminal organization or his company that Norman originally stole away from him. He is getting his lawyers to give it all back and ask him for forgiveness because he doesn't want it anymore. Meanwhile, after all this, Spider-Man is swinging around with Black Cat and he asks her out where she says, maybe, kind of, okay. Uh, which is interesting to say the least. I guess the ship has sailed with MJ and now they're going for Black Cat. Meanwhile, Norman and K Kingsley actually meet and Kingsley is very surprised because Norman gives him everything he asked for. And it's funny because Kingsley brought some goons thinking like, oh, I'm going to have to threaten this guy. And he's like, wow, you basically made this really easy. <laughs> it's kind of funny how like even villains are like, huh, I wasn't expecting this to be easy. I guess this is a nice change of pace. Uh, before anything else could happen or any other type of exchange, there is an explosion. Kingsley think Norman did something, but Norman says he didn't. And in front of them, a new hobgoblin is revealed. Although no one knows if this is Zed Neal's again or someone entirely new. Now, this is where the comic ends. Now, this was actually a pretty decent comic. Like I said before, um, the Hobgoblin has been somebody that has been underrated. I mean, the only reason I know about a Hobgoblin is because of the 90s series. And ironically, they wanted to get rid of the Hobgoblin early, but couldn't because uh, Marvel already made a bunch of toys. And it would have been really bad uh, waste of money to get rid of the Hobgoblin so early. But basically, yeah, uh, the Hobgoblin is definitely underrated. I'm very curious to see where this goes. And it seems like it's starting to get some quality in the comics, like the Tombstone arc. Like, listen, I hate Zeb Wells, but given his Tombstone arc, that was actually pretty good. So hopefully we get to see more quality out of that. But anyway, that's it for Marvel. Moving on to DC, Robin versus Batman, or Batman versus Robin, issue number three. Now, Damien has now full control of the former Robin. So Tim Drake, Dick Grayson, Jason Todd, Stephanie Brown, and equips them with a bunch of magical items. He sends them out to the forest to attack Batman. Now, Batman is now on a plane with Alfred, which he states that uh, Damien left this for them so they can get to the island. Now, things get very interesting. Batman, with the plane now landed, tells Alfred that he has to stay near the plane. As Batman goes through the forest, he is attacked by Tim, who's wearing some type of invisibility cloak. Uh, Batman comments that while Tim is a fantastic detective, he is not as great as a combatant. Now, with them under the control, they're basically letting out their feelings against Batman. Their disparities, their guilt, and it affects Batman because now he's feeling guilty because this is the stuff that they've been hiding deep down inside. So after uh, Tim is dispatched, he comes across Stephanie. Stephanie has some type of staff that allows her to wield the elements. At first, he thought Poison Ivy was there, but it turned out to be Stephanie. He, she basically is the Robin he had to fire, the only Robin he has ever fired. And even as he's fighting her, he comments how she is less of a combatant than Tim is, which is ironic. Now, one thing he does notice is that Damien would not have let her fight on her own and is attacked by behind by jason todd who has the trident of poseidon and you would think that such a big magical item that 
Aquaman uses to literally move oceans would be a terrible weapon in the hands of Jason Todd, but he uses them for a water gun and basically gets knocked out. Yeah, so they're just basically, how do I put this, really, really nerfing a lot of these magical items. Now, given it could be that they don't know how to use them, but still a weapon that is able to move literal oceans should be a lot more dangerous than just a water gun. Anyway, uh, he gets further and further in where he's basically now facing Dick Grayson. Dick has a sword and is basically a sword of sin, which basically not only burns the person, but also I think burns their soul. I would have to do a little more research on that one. Anyway, uh, he's basically getting attacked and Tim, not Tim, Dick, who is basically a much better combatant than the previous Robin since he was the first, is putting up an actual fight against Batman. Meanwhile, while this is happening, uh, a new magical creature is brought up and I forgot this dude's name, but he is basically a humanoid pig who knows the demon that Damien is serving. He talks to Damien, trying to figure out his role or his reasoning to team up with the demon. Damien can't really say any reasoning because he has none. He's basically under the control or the influence. Now, one thing that uh, the pig brings up, which is kind of surprised, is that the demon used to be a hero before the Lazarus Pit corrupted him. Meanwhile, while this is happening, uh, the Black Alice is basically sending magical people and their magic into the Helmet of Fate. What this is going to happen, I do not know. It looks like it's going to be used in some sort of negative way. Although, I think Naboo is starting to get crowded in there with all these people in there. Anyway, uh, Batman is still face-to-face with Dick and is now Dick is now getting the upper hand. He begins to lose when Alfred arrives. Batman uses Alfred as a shield and to Dick's surprise, Batman knocks him out. And it's revealed that this Alfred was a fake. And it's funny because Batman says that it's the little things. He gave him oolong tea, which Alfred hates. There was uh, He gave them some examples during their adventures that Alfred never participated in. Like, this guy knew all the big stuff, but he didn't know all the small stuff, which is why Batman was able to get or trick him. Uh, After the spirit leaves this fake Alfred's body, it's revealed that a small piece of Alfred was combined with this spirit, and the real Alfred is left. Now, Alfred begins to say his goodbye and tells him that Damien basically blames himself and that he needs to save Damien and reconcile with him. He also says that his parents sends their love and disappears for a final time. Now, this was actually a pretty good comic in the sense of it brought some closure and it actually didn't bring back a dead character just to bring them back. It was actually something of an essence. Now, like I said before, I'm curious to see where this all leads and who else will be popping in for issue number four. And if uh, the Robins, especially Dick Grayson, Jason Todd, and uh, Stephanie Brown is going to break control. Because it kind of sucks. Also, there are some Bat family members we haven't seen yet. We haven't seen Batwoman or Batgirl yet. So who knows? We'll see if they pop up in the next issue. If they do, we'll see how easily Batman disparges them. Anyway, that's it for DC and that's it for comics. We're going to be moving on to TV shows. 
Now, Zootopia Plus has finally been released, and these are mini shorts, which is about 10 minutes about different characters within the world of Zootopia. Now, a lot of these stories are fun and cute, and they have the original voice actors like Idris Elba coming back for these shorts. Now, my favorite so far has to be the Godfather episode. That was actually pretty cool. I liked how it kind of took parts from the Godfather movies, but also made it kid-friendly-ish. And it was pretty funny. Like, uh, especially when it came to the bribery, not killing them, but icing them. Like I said, it was kind of funny. Uh, I hope to, for that they actually make a Zootopia sequel. Zootopia is actually one of my favorite Pixar films. So for them to make a sequel would actually be pretty cool. Especially since they have an, an entire world they can explore. And a bunch of different crimes they can do. A crime syndicate. A murder. Well, maybe not a murder. Could they do a murder mystery within a kid's film? Maybe. That would actually be kind of cool. Or like some type of corruption thing. A lot of cool stuff. And I would hope for them to make a Zootopia 2 with everyone coming back. Uh, Carnival Row. A show I've never heard of. Maybe seen glimpses on in billboards. Has been cancelled. After two seasons. And season two hasn't even premiered. So season two will be its last. Like I said I never really saw the show. I think it was advertised somewhat. But I do find it funny that the shows that have a bunch of advertisements. Are the shows that Amazon is furiously trying to save. Compared to shows that don't have a lot of advertisement for. But they do well. Like Rings of Power compared to Reacher. Reacher didn't have a lot of advertisement, but the show was very well praised. The opposite can be said about uh, Rings of Power, but it's still getting a season two because, by God, if you invest $200 million on a show, you need to get your money's worth. Speaking of investing money, Westworld will not be returning for a season five, which is kind of good, in my opinion, because um, for any of you who watched Westworld after season two... It's kind of gone downhill, especially with season three and whatever the heck season four was trying to be. I'm actually kind of sad the show will never get a conclusion, but I mean, with the way it was heading, I'm kind of glad anyway. I wonder, like, I'm very curious to see if this is going to be continued in some type of book form or comic. Who knows? There's other types of mediums they can explore. One thing I do find interesting is the fact that since it took so long to be canceled, a lot of the actors will be and actresses will be paid as if season five happened because they had to uh, like they took too long and not to mention they were signed on. They renewed and they like canceled a bunch of other projects to be in the show. So it's actually kind of good to see that them actually paying these guys and hopefully paying the cast and crew for abandoning other projects for the show. Now, episode now we're going to be talking about episode nine and ten of Andor. And I got to say, this is the best episodes of the series. Just seeing the hopelessness of the situation change with Andor, especially with him getting used to the prison, trying to find a way to escape, the old person uh, dying, and them realizing that no one is getting out of the prison. And when it came to the prison escape, it was so satisfying. Everybody working together, everybody trying to escape, jump in the water, even dying for their beliefs. And the ending was somewhat tragic, especially when it came to Andy Serkis' character. Like, I really hope he took the leap of faith, even if he couldn't swim, someone helping him. Because escaping just to be that within grasp of freedom, and you're not able to take it. 
that's what sucks. So hopefully he was able to jump and take his freedom because if he's still in that prison, yeah, that's not going to be good. And honestly, with his range of acting, I'm very surprised that Andy Serkis hasn't won an Oscar, an Emmy, or something. But with the last two episodes of Andor around the corner, I am very excited to see what else this show can bring. And that's it for TV shows. We're going to be moving on to movies. Now, the new trailer for the John Wick movie has been released, and it looks amazing. There are old characters we're going to see, like Halle Berry, Lauren Fishburne, uh, the... um, Dude who runs the hotel, Lance Riddick, and a whole bunch of other actors coming back. And the trailer has shown new actors coming onto the scene. Donnie Yen, Clancy Brown, Bill Skisgard, uh I'm really trying to pronounce this guy's name correctly. Hiroki Sanda. I think that's the name. Anyway, yeah, I'm very curious to see what these guys bring to the John Wick universe and how awesome this movie is going to be. Moving on, I went ahead and saw Black Panther 2 Wakanda Forever, and I gotta say, this was the best Phase 4 film so far, and it was amazing. Now, this is gonna be a non-spoiler review, so you don't even have to worry about skipping. The action sequences were great, the storytelling was done fantastically, and they did Chadwick Boseman such justice. The introduction of Namor and Atlantis was fantastic. I loved how they basically... Brought different cultures in, how they explained his character in a way that didn't really diminish his comic book appearance. And I loved how they gave characters a lot more depth, like especially Shuri. And they actually, I'll give Brian Coogler some justice here. The man actually made Riri Williams likable and better than her comic counterpart. I mean, when it came to her comic counterpart... I could not stand her. Oh my god, she was arrogant. And not in like a Tony Stark likable way, but just really an annoying way. And it's one of the reasons why her comic got cancelled. Now here, she's actually likable. It actually makes sense to be like, oh, she built an Iron Man suit. It's like, well, she's been working on it for years. And with the technology she had, it wasn't like a full-blown Iron Man suit. It was like a really... Like, what you can do with the parts you can get, and stuff like that. It was really great, and I can't wait to see how this character evolves, and how a lot of these characters will become in the future, because Namor is definitely a force to be reckoned with, and with, uh, what was the Kang coming around the corner, it's going to be interesting to see how all these characters diverge into one big story arc. Moving on, uh, oh yeah, next week I'm going to be doing, no, not next week, it's too early, In about two weeks, I'll be doing a spoiler review of the movie and talking about it then. Now, moving on, uh, Netflix is releasing a prequel to The Witcher where it's going to be in film form and it's going to be called Blood Origin. and will be taking place about 1,200 years before The Witcher show and showing how The Witchers came to be. Uh, Michelle Yao is going to be the main character, so this should definitely be a fun one. Uh, Moving on, Bioware probably saw the success of League of Legends Arcane and has now thrown its hat in the ring with a Dragon Age animation project with Netflix. Now, the movie is going to be called Absolution and it's set in the familiar world of Dragon Age with new characters and a new story. Now, I never really played Dragon Age, so it should be interesting to see if this does well. The animation is your standard, like, Japanese-style animation, So it should be interesting. I really hope it's as good as Arcane. If not, Dragon Age really did a poor job. Anyway, moving on. uh, 
Guel I can never pronounce this guy's name. Guelmero del Toro's trailer for Pinocchio has been released. And it's very interesting how it diverges from the original story that we know. So in the trailer, it shows that the father is going to be in the movie a lot. And Jiminy is going to be with the father then instead of Pinocchio, with Pinocchio making his own mistakes, doing different things, going on a different adventure from the Disney film, which is great. Because honestly, in the film, the father-son dynamic of Pinocchio and Geppetto was never really explored, and it looks like it's going to be done here. And the best part about this, it's going to be stop-motion animation, which takes a long time to do because you're doing a bunch of thousand pictures for maybe a 10-second scene, spending weeks, years on a project before it's done. And like I said, I'm excited to see how this is all put together. I always, I'm always a fan of stop-motion uh, animation, so hopefully we get to see a good film. Anyway, that's it for films. We're going to be moving on to video games. Now, so far, I'm playing the God of War film. Oh my God, film. <laughs> I'm playing the God of War game, and I gotta say... It is an amazing game. The story is so much better than the first one, which is an achievement in itself. And this is a non-spoiler review, so I'm not going to say anything. But I've spent a bunch of hours on side missions. And if you're not doing any of the side missions, you're robbing yourself of a greater story. Because the side missions are great. They're amazing. I'm having fun with it. And every time I come across a side mission, no matter where I am, I'm going to do it. Because they really bring a bigger part of the story within the world of God of War. And goes in depth into the history of some of these characters. Now I am really going to be sad when this game ends. Because it's really great. And I'll probably have to wait another month for the Callisto Protocol. And hopeful that the game is good. Anyway, uh, moving on. Shoot House or Shooter House is back in NW2. For those of you familiar with this map, it's getting a updated reskin. And it looks like nothing has really changed. Was I a big fan of this map? Eh, I mean, I wasn't not a big fan of this map. I mean, it's okay. And I mean, it's bringing back something from the first game. So we'll see what happens. Hopefully those of you who love this map are happy. And if you hated this map, uh, good luck. <laughs> they really need to add some other maps here. Because especially with the lawsuit happening with the Amsterdam Hotel. And them having to take away a couple maps. They definitely need to... Uh, diverse themselves anyway moving on sonic frontiers is out and honestly i gotta say it is the best sonic game so far and i know that's not really saying much or nothing at all but it's actually pretty good the controls work pretty good if you are playing this for the first time don't do combat mode do speed mode because combat mode makes you way too slow for you to have any fun and it's just, especially with how big the island is, or big areas are, you, you want to get there fast. Um, I will say this, graphically wise, this game, you can tell, was originally made for the Switch. The graphics are not impressive. A lot of the stuff looks gray and murky. And a lot of the buildings take a while to render. Like, you have to be right in front of them for them to even render. But, I mean... It's a good game. Obviously, the team definitely needs to do a lot of updates, uh, especially for those who are playing it on console or PC. Like, it should be running a lot smoother than it actually is. But, I mean, it's a Sonic game, and for the story to be this good, it's actually a good step forward for the Sonic games. I like the seriousness, and I hope that this uh, spells a good future with the Sonic games, especially with the movies doing so well. 
Anyway, uh, moving on, speaking of the Switch, Shifu is coming to the Switch, and it looks like the graphics look clear, but, I mean, when the game actually comes out, it'll be remain to be seen. If you haven't played the game, it's really great. You basically are in combat and have to face uh, different levels, different enemies, and every time you die, you age. You get uh, slower, but your hits become faster. Uh, and your XP gets lower or higher depending on your age. But anyway, I think it's a great game. I'm looking forward to seeing the Switch port. Anyway, uh, moving on, on to Nerd Theories. Now, I will say this. I think that there is a competition going around that none of us are aware of. And this isn't something like an esports thing. This is more of an ego thing. So we all know that the Callisto Protocol is coming out next month. But for those of you who don't know, in two months, Dead Space is also releasing. So I find it funny that the Callisto Protocol has always had the same release date. Like, it has not changed. But I think that EA, seeing that the same creator of Dead Space coming out with a Dead Space-esque game, ruffled up some feathers, and with them bringing back Dead Space, I think that they rushed the release of it and rushed the project for them to be within a month apart. So this is basically going to be a who is doing it better or who can recreate the same magic. In my opinion, I think the Callisto Protocol is going to because... I really do not have that much trust in EA. Because, I mean, you have Glenn Schofield who created the original Dead Space, who put that love and support in creating something new and to creating something fantastic, and it seems like he's doing it again with this Callisto Protocol, and then you have DA just reviving a dead corpse. Now, I'm hoping this game is great. I love Dead Space. The Dead Space series was really cool. I remember seeing a bunch of videos, watching Rad Brad play the third one. I played the second one, which kind of scared the hell out of me. But, I mean, when it comes to EA, I really don't trust them. They're usually money-hungry. And with the Shona recent releases, they haven't really done great. Uh, Battlefield, just to say the least, uh, some of them, I mean, hell, they couldn't do Star Wars right for the most part, except for Fallen Order, but I mean, that's just Respawn. Like I said, I think that EA saw that uh, Schofield had the Callisto Protocol coming out and decided, you know what, we're going to show the world that we can do a Dead Space game without one of the creators. So hopefully the Callisto Protocol outshines Dead Space. Or maybe uh, Dead Space will be on the same league. Who knows? I'm not going to knock uh, the people who are making Dead Space because they're doing their job. And hopefully they do a good one because uh, people need to eat. <laughs> but like I said, uh, when it comes between the two, I'm rooting for the Callisto Protocol. Uh, anyway, that's it for my nerd theories. We're going to be moving on to current events. Now, for those of you who don't know, Kevin Conroy has uh, died. For those of you who don't know who that is... He was Batman for almost 30 years. I mean, when it came to the Arkham series, some of the Batman games, uh, the Batman animated series, some of the Batman movies. Like, if you look Kevin Conroy up right now and the Batman voice, you will recognize that voice. I mean, heck, it's been about seven years since the original, uh, since Batman Arkham Knight. And people know, like, oh, this is Batman. This is how this man's supposed to sound. And it's just crazy that he's now gone. Uh, he died young too for the age of 66. And I'm super glad that a lot of people are, are recognizing this 
and are basically giving a memorial to the man who basically inspired an entire generation of uh, voice actors and Batman fans everywhere. And yeah, I'm very sad that he has passed. Uh, Moving on uh, to another thing that has happened, which is more on the positive note. Uh, Ash Ketchum, after 25 years, yes, yes, 25 years, he is now the world champion Pokemon master. Yes, he has finally achieved his goal after 25 years. A 10-year-old with 25 years of experience. Now that is something everybody wants in this May of age. <laughs> oh, I just can't believe it. I mean, in Tokyo, Japan, they actually showed his battle on the big screen, which is saying something because, I mean, Pokemon has been a part of these guys' lives, especially ours, for over two decades. And some people at this point have kids, some even grandkids, that they get to share their love of Pokemon for. So I'm super excited to see where this leads. Does this mean that the Pokemon show is over? They're going to be focusing on a new character. Because if Ash is the world champion, there's not really much you can go from here. Hopefully they get to see we get to see an epilogue of what happens now. Maybe he's married, he's got kids, and all that stuff. Like I said, it would actually be pretty cool to see. Uh, moving on, the uh, maker of the Oculus has uh, taken inspiration from SAO and has made a uh, virtual reality headset that will kill you if you die. And to make sure that it does the job well, he has put three thermite charges. Yes, because if two wasn't enough, three is definitely going to make sure you stay dead. And I just find it funny. I mean, he even says that he was inspired by SAO and decided to see, hey... How can I make a deadly headset? I think it's really funny that he actually did it and made one and actually designed it. But hopefully no one has the actual idea and makes one but doesn't say anything to anybody like an SAO. But who knows? Anyway, uh, that's it for uh, this week's episode. I know it was a short one, but short and sweet, right? Now I'll be back next week. So here's to next week. See you later. Sayonara. And have a good day. 